Welcome back to the Breakdown Podcast. This week, I catch up with Black Cat Matt Henry, talk all things Crusaders and cricket. Then, Jim Kayes and Sir John Kerwin go deep on Super Rugby, the COVID effect, and what now for Moana Pacifica. Let's bring it on. Well, on the Breakdown Pod, we're going to go in all sort of different directions in 2022. So we've decided to go to someone I hear may have been a rugby player in his past, but at the moment, he's celebrating. He was the player of the series against South Africa uh, for the Black Caps. Matt Henry joins us. And Matt, look, the first thing I'm going to ask you, because I love, you know, you do research, you're preparing for interviews. And when I'm thinking cricket and I'm thinking bowler, what is the description going to say? Is it going to say fast, medium? Is it going to say medium, fast? And what is the threshold? Because I never really understood what it was, because... As a former cricketer myself, and people ask me, someone even yesterday said, so what were you? And I said, well, when I, when I read medium fast, it's like, well, that's not very intimidating. But when you, when you read fast medium, Matt, it, it, you feel a lot better about yourself. Do you know what the number is in terms of Ks per hour? No, it's always been one of those things when you talk about it yourself, you say fast medium, but when other people talk about it, it's probably medium fast, and it's just as confusing, I think, for me as well. <laughs> well, cricket cr- info. Crick Info says you're, you're fast medium, and you're consistently above 140. That's what it says. Do you agree? Is that is that what it is? Well, yeah, I think medium probably would say just the average, which is probably between that 130, 140, and then maybe when you go fast, you start going into there. So I think, um, if, and this is off the top of my head, I haven't even given this thought, but I suppose medium fast means you operate there, but now on a day and a good day, you go into that fast bracket, Maybe vice versa, if you operate in those 140s, but you're slight to maybe, maybe fast medium, I don't know. Well, I would have finished my career, when I, right at the very, very end, I had a couple of days where the gun was on, and it went right, and it yeah. said I bowled 141. Oh, I said, nice. I, well, that, that, like, I think for two deliveries back-to-back, I thought that was enough to constitute being, to get into the fast medium, but then like you say, I think the most important people you talk to are the batsmen, right? And they go, well, you don't, you're, you're not, no, you're not bordering... They know what fast is, right? So yeah, they know I, exactly what fast is, and you'll know as a batsman as well. You, you, you face these guys. You you can you can tell the difference, right, between one thirty five and one forty, one forty one. There's a, I think there's a significant difference there. Yeah, I think when you hit one forty, it doesn't matter where it is in the world. Um, you claim it, don't you? It doesn't matter if it's one ball or two balls. <laughs> yeah, you hit it, mate. You got into one forties. You're one forty bowler, and 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 then I'm not chucking it, right? Like you said, no, no, I didn't throw that one. No, no, it was a yeah. straight arm as, as good as it gets. Hey, my, my fastest ball was in Australia, so I'm, I'm still claiming that. I know they yeah. ramped the guns up, but I'm still claiming it. And that's with plenty of carry too. That's zinging through. <laughs> it's hitting the wicket keeper hard. And you're thinking to yourself, that's where I want to be. That's me. In my dreams for the rest of my career, right? In my dreams for the rest of my career, that's what I'm going to be on. Look, you're coming off the back of a South African series, which was drawn. And, mm. and to be fair, we played great the first test. They were really good in the second test. Um, how did the team walk away from that series in terms of, I suppose, understanding what you know you've got in front of you? But in saying that, just understanding that's the nature of the game, right? Yeah, it is. I think when you look at that, like you're so excited for a South African series. We, we don't play them all that much. And I think walking into that series, we knew we were going to face a strong South African outfit. And the way the things unfolded in that first test match were, I suppose, pretty rare. We, we had a, a great first day. Um, the batters then performed and did an excellent job, which actually just put so much pressure on South Africa. And then for us to come out and close the game in three days was, yeah, I mean, 
from a playing point of view, I mean, it was great and, and we took a lot of confidence from it, but we also knew that South Africa are going to bounce back um, to be their best in that second test and they turned up. Um, that's the nature of test cricket. It was, it was a good game of test cricket as well. Uh, every time we kind of got close to parity or just wrestling back a little bit of control, they just kind of took it away from us and we just couldn't quite have that sucker punch and kind of just get back to even after um, their first their first inning. So it was a shame, I think, obviously drawing the series and, and not being able to hold on and, and create some pretty special history. But at the same time, um, yeah, you do have to take your hat off to South Africa and they, they just played really well and, and, and they did outplay us in that second test. Look, this is a... Um... Look, I'm going to arguably say that this is the best era of New Zealand cricket. Now, what you guys are achieving as a group now, and you're, you're a part of that group. And is it something, look, just one um, Halberg team of the year, you know, for being you know, winning the Test Championship, but our consistent performances, whether it be at T20 or at one-day level, you're in amongst that group, right? Um, as a... As a side, is it something that you are well and truly aware of? Is it something that you talk about? Do you do you like thinking about yourselves as a as a team that's trying to break new ground for New Zealand cricket? Because that's what you're doing with consistent performances. I mean, is it and and, and how how did the group react to to, to winning a Hellberg Award? Because that's not an easy thing to win, you know. To 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 be said thinking about who you're up against. To win that, I mean, I, I thought it was awesome. I was fortunate enough to be one of the 100 that were in the room, and it was yeah. the most awkward event I've ever been to in my life, <laughs> to not be able to talk to anybody. I'm giving Kane a thumbs up from the table next to him, you know. Yeah, chair, they're awesome, fantastic, congratulations. And then I'm throwing my toys when they didn't win the overall one thing, and they should have won that. But, but, but as a group, you know, is there a real awareness of the history you guys are creating? Um, I suppose those things kind of come later on in the piece, don't they? I think you'll be well aware of it um, back in your playing days. You're kind of in that place where you're just trying to grow and, and I suppose build your team. And I think when you look back, I think it was 2014, um, played my first game for the Black Caps and coming into this environment. And then every time you're just kind of growing, there's new people that come in. You've got your guys that are there all the time as well. And you, and you kind of try to foster that culture and, I've been lucky enough to be, um, I suppose, having, we walked in, Brendan was captain and we still had so many, well, such a strong, um, experienced players with Dan Vittori was still around and, and Kane was just, he had been there and he was established himself as a, a world cricketer and Tim, Trent, um, all these guys. And, and I suppose over time, um, you're not really that, that kind of take that stuff takes care of itself, right? You, you're kind of just focusing on the little things. How do we grow as a team? How do we keep working on our culture and our? How do we keep just becoming better cricketers? Um, and as that comes, it comes with experience as well. I think you, you're traveling around the world, and it's so hard to win series away from home. Playing in India, playing in South Africa, even Australia—they're they're all different conditions. England as well. So all these places, you, you kind of just keep learning. And I think. It just adds strength to your bow, and, and we're at a place now where a lot of guys have played a lot of cricket, and then the guys that are actually coming in as well have actually got a few games under under their belt as well. They have that experience, and they've been dominating domestic cricket for so long as well. So when they come in, they're actually really confident and comfortable in the team. Um, the roles are pretty clear as well. So I think there's, there's so many combining elements that, that go into, um, I suppose, consistency over a long period of time um 
And yeah, I, I think that's probably what helped. Probably, I mean, when you look back on it in the Halberg Award, it is really special. And I think everyone really, I mean, it wasn't something that you strive to get. And it's something that when you do get recognised for something like that, it is really special when you sit back and you reflect and you go, wow, this actually has been quite a special um, period we've had. Let's, let's, let's just, in saying that though, come on now, look, there's always a moment as a team, yeah. right? As a team, when you've, when you've won that and succeeded and had the success and you get in your own space, right? Yeah. You have a couple of uh, bubblies or, you know, a couple of beers and you think to yourself, we are the best, you know, we've proven ourselves to be one of the, the best cricket teams. Now that's not through um, arrogance or overconfidence and you, yeah. you very quickly the next day bring yourself back down to earth. But surely there's been a moment, right, where the high fives are flung. <laughs> You know the high yeah. fives are going, and your appearance something the the pure joy of it, right? Because I've been fortunate enough from you know from tours I've been on and big series and and yeah. games. There's 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 a moment you're allowed to celebrate that, right? Where you go, this is what I work for, you know, and this is not an egotistical thing, right? No. Have, has there been those moments in those groups where big games where you and we talk about it all the time? You know, we're going to celebrate this one now. Yeah. Can are they vivid and clear in your mind the fact that we have celebrated those now? You know, and 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 as a group. You know, um, you know, because because I remember cricket was was always one of those it's always one of those hard games to explain to people, right? Because in the end, you're part of a team, but generally it's a one on one battle. You know, you get assistance from your fielders and running between wickets and all those sorts of things, but you're the guy with the ball, you're up against the guy with the bat, and you, you either win or lose every delivery. You know, yeah. or it can be a stalemate of the fact well nothing happened there. So, you know, I look at it and and, and you know as a group. Is this team celebration the same? You know, is the fact that do you do you party yeah. hard when you have a big win, right? Do you do yeah. you get around the changing? Do you have the session in the changing shed like everybody else? Yeah, of course you do, and I think that's really important that you do acknowledge those moments. But they're all, um, like I said, they're also different. And I think for us as a group, you look at, um, I mean, like ones that stand out for me. You look at making the World Cup final in 2015 and not quite getting over the line, but there was a sense of real pride and achievement to actually get there that was almost like this is new ground like we've got here yes we've been beaten by a better team and it was a bit you're a bit gutted but at the same time you're so proud of what you achieved at home um and then building towards the 2019 world cup it was a slightly different mentality it was like right we've been there we've we've kind of had a taste of that but we know we can get there um there's that slight bit of confidence that you know in your game and we had a different side in the way we approached it, and and I suppose every win you get, uh, yeah, it wasn't really celebrating just that yet because we knew that there was a there was a bigger one um, at chance, and then obviously the way it unfolded in that 2019 World Cup, you were just gutted and confused, yeah. and it was just an emotional roller coaster. And then you fast forward to this Test World Championship, and we finally got over the line. You know what I mean? We 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 won an ICC event, um, and it'd been something we worked at for two years as a unique competition and that was definitely one of those moments where you, uh, you sit there you go like how good's this like we've yeah. worked for this we've tasted the tasted the bitterness of, of losing at the final post and then also tying at the final post and we've, yeah. we've got over the line here and, and like you have those moments and I think test cricket is special and every test win you have is a special moment you talk about those moments you spend in the shed with the guys I, I think every test one is like that um, yeah. you've always got a like I said, just quick turnaround in series, but you can't take a, a test win for granted. You never know when your next one's going to be. They don't come by easy. And I think for all this group, it's something that we've probably come a little bit more familiar with, um, but it's not through no right. Um, 
the, the game owes you nothing, you know what I mean? So you actually have to take stock and actually be like, nah, boys, this is this was a special moment. Let's enjoy this, celebrate this. And then tomorrow we move on to the next and, and you kind of work in that, that, that process because you do have to enjoy the successes along the way. Um, but yeah, Test Cricket's a real special one for me. Eh? I think that, that group yeah. we've got as well. And when you do get that Test win over five days or three days, whatever it is, yeah. it, it definitely hits different and it's a, it's a pretty special feeling, eh? So that's that, that one day game you're talking about, 2019, I was mm. on a plane with the All Blacks and yeah. we were flying to Buenos Aires. So, oh, yeah. so, so we're on business class and we were getting fed the information yeah. from the cockpit. You know? So, of course, and it's the last time I think I was on a long-haul flight. And it was coming through and we were, sort of, we were getting it in dribs and drabs as, as I think we were flying over the Andes, which is yeah. a, a, it's bumpy at the best of times, is that we were getting a sort of a, an over-by-over-ball-by-ball you know, as you said, we were devastated. You know, and I can only imagine what you guys are going through. But like you've just said, you sort of you got over the line. So when you have those moments, who are the guys who drive the party? Because I'm always, I'm assuming. I mean, Southie and uh, Bolton Southie keep telling us that they're the guys, right? I bump into them on the, every so often at tournaments, at golf tournaments. Are they the guys, or do they talk up a big game? Oh, they talk a big game, don't they? Now, um, <laughs> I think, oh. To be fair, I mean, if we're throwing people under the bus, BJ was always a big one for the test stuff. Yeah. yeah he um, he was one of the guys who really enjoyed a test one. Like, he knew that, I suppose, the guys that have probably been there for a long time, those guys like your BJs and Kane and Tim, and they've experienced the heartache of tough periods of, of cricket and how hard those tests win. So they're the ones that really want to install it in you. And say, yeah. Hey, it's like, this is, like, don't take this for granted. This is a special moment. Enjoy this and, and, and take it in. Yeah, no, this would be fair. Baz, that's a good deflection, isn't it? That's Baz, right? It's Baz, <laughs> absolutely. One hundred percent, and he's still celebrating them, even though he's not playing anymore. He's still yeah, exactly. We'll just keep celebrating for BJ. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, you, you mentioned Kane. You, you mentioned him, and I want to ask you. Um, I know what it was like when I bowled to Martin Crow, right? Mm-hmm. And and it was the fact that I think my first ever delivery. I, I was playing a, a North South game. He was playing for the North. I was playing for the South. That was uh, at Lancaster Park. And I'm adamant, you know, we got an early wicket and I was bowling to him. And I'm adamant the first ball I bowled to him, he left it before he ever, I left it out, out of my hand. Like, and he did that, had that classical leaving style where it just, and then it like he wanted, it's like he didn't even watch the ball, he just watched me. Yeah. And it was almost at the moment, I was like, I'm in real trouble here. Because <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you're clearly better than I am. Yeah. And if you know where it's going to go before I've even let it go, I'm in, I'm in serious trouble. So when you're bowling to Kane, right, and, and you, you'll do it at domestic cricket, but you're also, you know, I, I remember nets get very competitive and you're yeah. thinking to yourself, how am I going to, you know, even nicking him out in the nets would have been a bonus, you know, if I was bowling to, when I bowled to Hogan. So so when you're bowling to Kane and, and, and you're looking and, and understanding his greatness, what is it that's going through your mind? Yeah, I think... Like you mentioned with world-class players like your Canes and stuff, it's just that ability. They seem to have so much more time, don't they? They don't. They, they never really look rushed. So it doesn't matter if you're reverse tapping it through to the keeper, feeling like your bowling's faster in the world. It's just an easy leave or it's a they let the ball come close to them, they watch it the whole way through, and it's just that illusion of they've got so much more time than other batsmen. You don't get them all squared up, you know? Yeah. Um, and I suppose that comes down to your control. Like They seem like they're always in control of those little moments and they're navigating it and... I think that's something with Kane where he's so unique is his ability to always adjust and learn. And like, it doesn't matter what nets you're in. If you're in a real spicy green net, he'll, he'll adjust something and he'll find a way and, and tinker with things, which is 
pretty remarkable to watch and vice versa if it's slow and it's low he'll do something slightly different and I think that's probably um, where you see great players at work I suppose they have that time and that ability to they're always learning or figuring something out to adjust to that condition and we talk about it a lot on cricket is the ability to adapt Um, because if you take too long to adapt you're already out you're you're sitting in the sheds and you're wasting time but if you can actually uh, figure it out out there one day cricket or T20 adjust what's the pass score here how am I going to structure this and the ability to do that quickly is such a skill Um, and that's someone I'm sure like the Martin Crows and and the Ross Taylors the Cam Williams and these guys all have that ability to really just process that information so quickly and then adapt their game which is also a, a pretty remarkable so I mean, it's always fun in the net, eh? oh, it's yeah. always good to bowl against those guys. You test yourself, and like I said, um, you're not celebrating out loud, but you're always loving it when you're nicking them off or getting them, yeah, <laughs> you're not getting in their face, are you? <laughs> yeah. But, so uh, we're a rugby, we're a rugby podcast, right? So you did just, and so, so we were we're trying to track down someone who we thought was passionate about the game, and and that's what we heard. You're passionate about rugby. Um, did your schooling in Christchurch? I must admit, I first the question I asked, where was all schooling? All right. So how many eyes has he got open? Okay. Um, uh, you did do a, a year overseas though, right, when you were at school? You had a, had a yeah. year in England? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, what was your exposure to rugby? Did you play? Did you think you might have a future in it? What was it for you? Um, I, I loved rugby, eh? Me and my yeah. brother, um, rugby, cricket, mad. So we, we grew up in Christchurch, like you mentioned, and every winter was rugby. It was out in the backyard. We had all our mates around um, Regency Crescent, um, and we would door knock, get all our mates around in the winter, and that was us playing rugby, be like three on three, four on four. Um, and we played that right through um, until we got a little bit big. And I, yeah. remember, like, I actually I was the one that kind of ruined the game. I went to dot down, Sean, he tackled me around the feet, head into the tree, which was a corner post. That was me knocked out. That was the game done. Um, so that was the backyard stuff done. Uh, yeah. We got a bit big for that. So we started just doing a lot of goal kicking and playing rugby at Beads. We live right next door to St. Beads as well. Um, yeah, and yeah, like, like we just loved it. Like that was the thing. Like it was always um, a real passion. We both loved goal kicking. My brother was huge Mertz fan, massive Dan Carter guy. Yeah, uh, left footer as well. So um, we'd spent most of our time after school would be goal kicking together, me and my brother, and um, just having competitions till dark, really. And then, I mean, I took it seriously. Don't get me wrong. Like I loved it, but. Yeah. I didn't wasn't like real gym hungry trying to put size on and, and I think that's probably as we got further on in high school that was probably the difference. Um, I remember sick form being uh, the second fifteen and I absolutely loved it. Had a great time and then got called into the first fifteen for top four that year. Yeah. Um, and so we obviously went up north and it was a different kettle of fish. Eh? I remember <laughs> boys and I was on the bench. I didn't get one minute thankfully, otherwise I think I would have got snapped in half. But um, <laughs> We, because I was sixth form, we had a predominant seventh form uh, team that year. And um, yeah, I remember the coach actually asked me, he said, Oh, look, we're actually clearing the bench here. It's the last time for all the seventh formers to get the opportunity to play with the year. And look, you've obviously got next year. Come, I was like, That's fine, mate. Yeah, do what you, do what you need to do. Real physical game. It was wet and it was just real heavy forward. And I was like, Well, I'm not. For this. So, what, what positions were you covering? Um, I was covering at the time on the bench. I was. Kind of like utility back, really. So fullback. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up playing first five, but once I went to St. Bede's, we had a number of guys that were rep- Canterbury representatives first five. So I actually moved out to second five. Yeah. Um, and then, so I was playing second five. And then once I got 
up the grades. There was no room for second five because we had another Canterbury rep and so he did schools as well. So I ended up going full back and I actually started my first first fifteen game. I played at centre actually. Really? Um, yeah. So I really got chubbed around, but um, yeah, first fifteen in seventh form, which was pretty cool. Um, it was one of my goals, but like I said, I wasn't trained. Like my skill set was was there, but physically not the biggest guy. So defensively, wasn't putting all the hits I probably needed to be hitting. So um, yeah. I was injured in my fourth game. Yeah. Oh, because generally that's how I got further. The further I got it, they worked out my tackle technique and I ended up at the back, you know. Yeah. And, and, and But I completely understand what you're talking about, though, when you get exposed to the, the, the big wide world of, of mm. first 15 rugby in New Zealand because I was at a, a minor high school in Invercargill and top four was down there one year. And uh, Southland boys, I wasn't at Southland boys, but they were in the top four. Yeah. And then uh, um, I'm trying to think who it was. It might have been Kelston or it might have been who came down and trained at our school. Yeah, and the Ford pack was bigger than the All Blacks. Yeah, it was, it was a massive story that year, and we went out and watched the scrum session. And I yeah. was like, "My God, I'm so glad I don't go to Southland Boys High School. Like, I would not want to have anything to do with that." As they were demolishing our little wee scrum machine that our little wee Ford pack that we had just used to push with, you know, it was it was it was so remarkable what kids back then how big they were. That yeah. hasn't changed. They're, they're they're massive. So that was it. So that's done. But if you so Crusaders fan or a Canterbury fan? Was it more Canterbury or Crusaders? Or at those days, I mean, it was just I mean, you're celebrating wins left, right, and centre. You know, I mean that, that this is this is hard for me to say, but it's a remarkable culture and success yeah. period, right, for for Crusaders and, and Canterbury rugby. I mean, that's what the last fifteen years is twenty years is, has been about. I mean, do you still watch? Yeah, I love it. Like that's the thing. You're, you're right. Like that was such a cool period as a kid where you're rugby mad and, and cricket mad being here home of Canterbury rugby you'll be able to go down and watch the go to uh, Jade Stadium Lancaster Park and watch the Crusaders and watch Canterbury um, and, and it's such a golden era we, we that was you? Such... Were you going to those games yeah yeah going to all those games absolutely loving it um, it was just awesome eh? I, I think probably as you, you kind of always when you play in the backyard you always having those times as well, you're always pretending to be in the Crusaders or the All Blacks and all that stuff. I used to love the All Blacks games as well. I was sitting there doing the hucker in the lounge when you were a kid and <laughs> loving it. So hold but, on, um, have you done, have you, is, is, is there a post-match hucker in the, the cricket sheds? No, there's not, no. Oh, there's not, even when you win? No. no. One's, is it no surely no. someone's pulled one out? No, no, not not yet. Not as oh, a, you've got to lead the charge. Come on, I mean, no, it's not I mean, my role. It's not my everyone, role. Oh, everyone else does it. I mean, yeah. I mean, in the, in the confines of your own changing shit, you lock the door, make sure no one's got the phone running, you yeah. know, and then and, and knock one out. I mean, because like you said, you, I mean, I, I'm no different. I'm sure a lot of the guys you grew up, you, mm. everyone knew the hucker, right? Everyone knew Kamate yeah. because that was that was what yeah. you saw, you know, when you watched the All Blacks. Yeah, it was, and I think that's. I suppose every Kiwi dream is to be an All Black or, you know, playing rugby. But yeah, obviously, like we mentioned before, you get that soon reality of like, I'm, I may not be built for this. I think cricket's an option. Anyone um, can do a hucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyone can do a hucker. But yeah, maybe that's something I can put to the table. Maybe that's put, something we put it to the table. I mean, start. Yeah. I, to be fair, I'll just start a little bit. Keep you know, get a yeah. get a good idea whether or not you're any good at it, and whether you yeah. need any help. I mean, because that's the because we all know, we, and we we talk about it all the time, Matt. I mean, JK and I talk about our initial efforts. You know, mm. and I knew I knew the actions and the words, but getting it right. You know, mm. and once you're in that environment and wanting to deliver it properly, yeah, you know, and, and like you say, the, cricket is a you know is a, in theory the gentleman's game. 
um, in theory, because I know how competitive it can get, it can get out there. Um, I'll ask you a couple other things. Um, so in the group you've got at the moment, who thinks they should be an All Black? Who thinks? Ah, oh, well, Tim obviously talks about his days a lot about being a strong rugby player. Well, we actually do have a really strong group of uh, like our keen yeah. rugby guys. Um, I think from our Canterbury group, though, we've got Peter Fulton, our captain. So yeah. touch has always been a massive game for us. Like, yeah. Warm-ups, always touch and making sure we're... So that's probably like one of the highlights. I know Henry Nichols, he's off to training today because touch, um, that's a big driving factor. We've got youngies versus oldies. Um, and it kind of like everyone's reliving their glory days. Fultz is ref and it kind of gives the oldies a little bit of a hand now and then. So yeah. um, we get a few extra penalties, which help us. But... Um, no, I think our rugby guys, yeah. I mean, Henry Nichols was another good rugby player. Um, Tom Latham was a good footy player, but he, he retired at a young age because he saw his, his pathway to cricket. So, unfortunately, yeah. he was done at the early age of year 9 or 10, I think. Um, but he would set up to be a good prop or hooker, I think. What I like about this is, is like you, you know, is the fact that it's, it's still there. You know yeah. that, that people play play both coming through. You know, played yeah. rugby and cricket, and that sort of, you know, that's to me. It sort of gives me hope that one day someone might play both again. You know, and, yeah. and just watching Kieran Reid in the in the Black Clash, which I had a good chat to Jacob Orham about about three weeks ago, which he didn't enjoy in any way, shape, or form. It was a tough year for for Jake and tough yeah. year for the cricketers, to be fair. Yeah, but when you see a Will Jordan and you see a a Kieran Reid come out and clearly show some natural ability still in the game. Mm. Do you think it would be nice one day if someone had a crack at it post-rugby and said, you know what, even if it's T20, you yeah. know, because the unorthodox nature, the shortness of it, you know, think, do you think it's possible? Yeah, it's that's a great question, actually, because you think back in the era, like, which way would you have to do it as well? I mean, I, I'm a big believer in playing both as long as you possibly can. I, I think it's so important that you're still playing as much sport and not, going into that professional headspace too early. Um, I mean, everyone's different, but the pressure that comes with sport and the expectation and those tools that you have to have to deal with those throughout, it's great ability to have fun. Cricket and those years after, they're so much fun. Like You can remember that as well. And they're great years, to, so why not try to do both as, as long as you can? I don't know what you'd have to do first. I think maybe if you did rugby then came back to cricket? Would that be the option? Because I'm guessing with the the way the, the way rugby is with speed and pace and the size as well, um, like would you, you'd have to probably. Well, I mean, I think people, you know, you know, I just, I just think of a like you say that the the you know the hit and miss nature of T20, mm. you know, the fact yeah. that if you've got a good eye hand coordination, I mean, like you say, you know, you watch, you know, Bondi did prepare for for three months for his. Four overs for fifty odd, you know, and so that you wonder whether or not he looks back and think, "Oh, was it really worth it?" When oh, Kieran Reid's standing there and swinging for the fences, um, and people wonder why, wonder why I've not put my hand up to find out how far I can get hit for, and it just hurts watching. To be fair, I look at it and go, "That's just I haven't got it in me." Like, my, my, trust me, Matt, my body does not want to bowl. I'm forty eight no. years old. It's got no interest in rolling the arm over. You know, it would have um, been so sore as well. But this is worse than going out there to bowl, and you've got someone like. Baz, who's out there lapping, yeah, oh, it, yeah doing all sorts, yeah. and just going, oh, my word. Exactly. And to, and to have 25,000 people there watching it, it's been a great invention, and I'm glad that they're doing it. But yeah. I can tell you 100% that the fact that I'm quite happy. Where was I this year? I was on Waiheke with some mates on a wine tour. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was in the right place. I was on the right place 
I suppose you like can go either either team, can't you? Yeah, I could go either team. I don't think either team want to be. <laughs> I think um, they've even given up trying. They've got oh bugger that, you know. I yeah. do think that though that they need an, an injection of youth. The cricket team, they need to find. Um, you know, they just need, and that's the benefit of these rugby guys. This, I mean, I mean, Will Jordan's in the peak of his physical yeah. career, you know, and clearly can play a bit of cricket. So. Oh. And even a well-structured innings, the guy, that was, that was oh. a good watch. Even Rito, like, was, the way he was going about his work, and he yeah. was just he was playing some seriously nice shots. And, and that's what always point. surprised me is just their, um, their fielding. Their fielding yeah. is so good. They don't oh, drop the, any catches. And the catches that even a cricketer is finding hard, the ones that go yeah. up and over your head, they seem to be just plucking them out of the air. Yeah, and, and, that's, and, and once again, that's what I think gives me great hope for both sports mm. because those people and players and athletes are still out there, you know, yeah. quite easily, like you've just said, you've had players that you know who are in your environment who've chosen to go down the cricket path, yeah. you know, who were probably had the same skill set, right, exactly the same skill set, mm-hmm. and these rugby players have gone down that path, you know, mm. and, and, you know, that, that that's what I think is maybe in some ways helping, um, you know, both sports is the fact that we're still got... Jordy Barrett was at one of our trainings oh. at Lincoln when he was at, um, like we were, we were training out at the high performance. And but that was he would have been probably just out of, probably I don't know whether he was just out of school or whatnot. He was close to the New Zealand 19s or may have yep. even been involved. Yeah, um, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah and, he played and, last year, and it's like that, that tough decisions to make. And like, what's what's I mean, what position would be the position that you'd be able to go? Would it be a back going into cricket? I mean, probably I, mean, I mean, you see Rito. I mean, Rito was a. I mean, he's a loose sure. forward. I mean, I think for, I, I just look at it and, and go, um, you know, why wouldn't one of the, uh, you know, the provincial teams just go? Mm. You know what? Let's take a gamble because you'll get people to come watch, right? Yeah. Take yeah. a gamble and go, and, it, and it's not like they're a scrub and they can't play. They no. they can clearly still hit a ball, and you go, why don't invite them into training and go? You invite Kieran Reid and go, well, we've got a T Twenty competition coming up. I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm just talking about for pure entertainment value, the fact that. People, it, it, it would bring people in, not only go to the games, but people watch and it brings attention to it. Because I think sometimes there's the balance between, particularly T20, right? It's an entertainment sport. I mean, that's yeah. that's what you're trying to do. And we see it in Australia. I think sometimes maybe we take it a little bit too seriously here. Yeah. Where, let's it's just a hard one because the thing as well, like the, everything has context around it now. I think those bilateral series are kind of gone now. Everything's yeah. like you look at all our one-day cricket. We haven't had much of late. That's all building towards a World Cup. So no game is an exhibition match, if you'd say. T20, we're building towards a T20 World Cup. Vice versa, test match cricket, which used to be a lot of exhibition matches and whatnot, but we don't have that anymore. Every every game is now worth points, and that's kind of the way the world's working as well. And, and yeah. Especially in cricket, it is all year round. I mean, you look at where we're touring, so you don't probably have those windows of, I suppose, the, the North versus South, those yeah. kind of games, and... And, and and those, I suppose, they're maybe the games that you're, you're talking about. Maybe it's not at an international level. Maybe you're talking at a domestic level. Um, just, but just but a domestic level. The way, the way professionalism is working now, that's the tough part, isn't it? It's trying yeah. to find how do you do both? Is it actually feasible? Because I'm sure, I don't know, when rugby starts, I mean, there's probably no winter of downtime. Five yeah. years with cricket. You get yeah. left behind so quickly. I'd like to see someone give it a crack, though. I really would. I mean, because yeah. it, it would just... You know, I think in terms of um, of of our, I suppose our country understanding and exactly how good these athletes are. You know, they're not just mm. one dimensional. To your point about playing multiple, multiple. Cat's made an appearance. Yeah, he has. <laughs> yeah, he can't leave me alone here. <laughs> Mate, lastly, before we go, I mean, everyone's got a favourite. Everyone's got a, 
And you've mentioned a couple of first fives that played for the Crusaders, the Canterbury, and you know. But I mean, everyone's, you know, you look at it and, and you go, and the, the the players that you've loved to watch in terms of rugby, and and as well, just are the Crusaders going to win another title? I think you have to say they do, aren't they? They're going to win it. I mean, you you're always going to say it. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to look like a one-eye cantab here, but no, I'm but genuinely back in the Crusaders. That's such a strong outfit, and the way they kind of operate, and just the, their depth, um, the way that guys just come in, they know their job, they've got that clarity of role, and it doesn't really matter who's missing out. There's someone that will come in and, and, and fill that role, and I think that consistently piece over a tournament is just so important, and that's what they've kind of mastered over the, the, the few years. So I'm definitely back in the Crusaders again. And who do you love to watch play? Currently, or no, whether historically or currently, you know the guys that yeah. you think to yourself, you know what well, they're the ones I, you know, in the old days I would always watch, I'd watch that play, and, I'd, and nowadays it's like yes, you've got your Crusaders, but you're going, you know what? Because I, I think superstars in sport are so very, very important. You know the yeah. guys that 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 set the standard. Definitely, I, I think growing up, um, I'm aware of strong Murden's family, but I, I personally was massive Dan Carter, and there's probably the left-footed yeah. nature and. Just the way he played the game, it was it was at a time where he kind of changed that position as well. He was defensively attacking. He was so good yeah. to watch, and he was single handedly winning games as well. And um, yeah, I, I, he's definitely by far my favourite player of all time. But then moving forward, I think I, I enjoy watching your Richard Malongas and and Jordy Barrett as well. Watching someone yeah. at fullback who the way he injects himself in the game and and the long long distance kicking as well. And yeah, no, I think those two for me would be my what was your range? What was your range like? Oh, that's, since you've brought it up, um, with, you know, it's, it's kind of similar. Actually, talking about um, we we're talking about hitting that one forty k mark. It was a little bit like that. We we had a tour in South Africa in two thousand and sixteen, I think it was, and we so um, developed. Yeah, so we managed to get. Here we go. Well, I'm sitting yeah. these numbers because we had many competitions the day before games. Yeah. So we had a. Um, it was quite funny. We actually got a. Um, we got onto Loftus and we had the bags of balls out there and. We all kind of sat in the car like radio. No one here has got a sore groin tomorrow. Nothing's mentioned. Like, yeah, if you do <laughs> yeah. it, you've done it bowling or something. And I remember saying to myself, I was like, right, you're just not going to go anything past like the 15 metre lines. It's touchies and you're probably not going to go past 40. And I reckon my first kick was about 15 out, 40 out. And I was just like, I banged it. And I was like, oh, here we go. Like, yeah. we're on here. And because me and Tim went out and bought rugby boots, we went to the local shop and bought. I bought a Crusaders shirt. Um, he bought his chief shirt. All the boys got dressed up for it. Like it was like we're in Loftus. I'm not going to half-ass this, and yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not going to win the runnings and slip over and think what if. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think. About, about 55 was with um, at, at Loftus. Um, Mate, Loftus was that. The, I can't Loftus, really remember. Loftus was the ground. Loftus it, was the ground. With, with being humble, I, I won the kicking comp, which was oh, you did sure. So, yeah, we all had like a kicking comp, like kind of a knockout system, and they just plotted around the ground and stuff. You were the only one with fully kitted up, though, right? <laughs> no, most of the... Uh, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Everything else has been there, runners. You were fully kitted out with boots yeah, on. I was fully kitted up. Now, Tim was fully kitted up. There's no excuses for him. Um, yeah, no, most of the guys were kitted up. I mean, Henry Nichols, he was actually a good goal kicker in his day, yeah. um, but he he just had his runners on, so that's his, his excuse. His excuse. Um, Bolte was woeful. Um Wags thought he was much better than what he was. But it was a it was a great day out. And then we played oh. a massive full scale force and back with the team as well. Oh, it was good. a brilliant it was literally it was 
everyone's childhood really, you know, when you're growing up and you see people playing South Africa, you're like, how far yeah. can they kick it? Is that a difference? And it's just the ball's just ping, eh? It's awesome, eh? It is yeah, so, so, so session and it's horrible. Uh, <laughs> so we, we, Mertz and I used to, so that was our, we used to go at it at, at and um, we both, I, I'm not t- I'm not telling a lie, 68. That's brilliant. It was honestly not both bad. of us, and we, we couldn't be separated. It was sort of one of those things where it was an yeah. honourable draw, but yeah. we were both a little bit filthy, and yeah. we're all, and then we were trying to gauge by who's been over by the most. You know, like, okay. that was the difference. But it was, and, and like you say, you just systematically worked your way back. But it just, yeah, we just keep working it, our way back, but then you're also in the back of your mind, you're like, I can't be pinging something I, here. I haven't gold yeah. kicked in about 10. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You can't be that guy. Right? It's like, yeah, no good. I mean, good. How does that happen? So it was fine. No one got injured. Oh. All right. What's next? What's next? What have you got? So, um, you, who's coming to town? Uh, yeah. So we've got the Netherlands now. So Netherlands. we've got a T20 and three ODIs against the Netherlands in the World Cup qualifying games as well. So they'll be important, uh, which is a really exciting series. I think everyone's looking forward to that, having, having them here. And there's a few Kiwis involved in that Netherlands side as well. So I, I reckon it'll be a really cool series. And then. After that, we go to England in May. So we've got a test series over there, World Championship, which is um, playing cricket in England's awesome and everyone enjoys that tour. So, um, yeah, they're the next ones on the cards. Champion, mate. Hey, thanks very much for joining us on the Breakdown Pod. Good luck. Enjoyed your stories. I love talk, chatting, whether it be cricket or rugby, and uh, we'll keep an eye out for all your great performances uh, continuing for the Black Caps. Cheers, mate. Amazing. Thanks very much. Thursday morning, it's about 11am, and at 10am this morning, the Hurricanes were ruled out of their game against the Moana Pacifica. So it has been cancelled to John Kerr and Jim Kays. Look, Tony Brown has been in the media in the last couple of days talking about the fact they've had been affected. They've still been able to put together a strong side to play against the Blues, but he is almost of the opinion that this competition is actually in some ways going to be um, severely affected, and the outcome of who wins this could be on who and which team manages their COVID challenges the best. This is really damaging though, Jim. We'll start with you. Really damaging for Moana. They finally got on the field. They've done everything right. They've protected themselves. Unfortunately, the Hurricanes have gone home. They are now compromised. They are out. What do you do for Moana? That's their third game in Super Rugby Pacific. Is there any possible way they can catch these up? Look, the only way to catch them up would be midweek games. And I think when you've got teams that are already compromised by COVID, trying to whack midweek games into into competitions, probably unfair, probably not realistic and, and, and probably medically un, unhelpful. I mean, what we've found across a few sports now are reports of players, athletes coming back with severely reduced lung capacity. So, you know, you've got to be quite careful with these athletes, the way you load them back into the competition. Um, And I just don't see, Goldie, how you're going to squeeze three more games in for Moana Pacifica. Um, So what does that mean? Do you scrub all of their games, share points? Do you make those games null? I I don't know. Hey. A game of euchre, old school stuff. A A game of euchre, a game of paper, scissors, rock, a game of, you know. Hey, if someone's fit, have a kickoff. Oh, I'm serious. Like, the first point, Goldie, is are you guys just looking for excuses when the Blues win again this competition that it's not the real competition? Is that what you're putting out there? Just, <laughs> just checking? Just checking? Like, we are living in COVID. The whole world has to get on with it. Get over yourself, rugby. Get on with it. Go and toss a coin. Game over. Whoever wins gets the five points. And then we move on next year and hope this bloody Omnicrom's out of our life. But... 
doesn't but, make us any special as rugby people. Have a game of ukulele. Whoever wins gets the five points. And if you, you know, if you can't field a side, that's just COVID. Let's get on with it. Rolling sun, like the like uh, Al Pica. Let's just let's just make some shit up. No, so John Wait, 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 wait. I thought this was the premier rugby competition. Yeah, we're trying to make a premier. And, and, and to be fair, half of these guys only know five hundred. If you reduce them down to five cards, Yuka would just confuse them. <laughs> I mean, they're not playing. They're not playing Yuka. They're playing poker and blackjack, and they're they're playing the real deal. Uh, let's let's be realistic though. Uh, what they've done in Japan, and this is, you know, I don't know if they're the example of if, if if you are the team that is has to withdraw, you forfeit the five points, right? You've, that's what you've done, and that, that's what they've done over there. The talk here initially was that they may split the points. Now, you know, clearly that the three teams who are playing against Moana initially would have seen this as a five-point contest, going, you know what, with all their inexperience, we would come in and we would we would hopefully pick up five points. But at this point now, are we seriously at the, look, we just have to split points now? And it won't be just Moana, let's be honest, that are going to be affected in the future. Right, there are going to be other teams that are affected, and I think you need to make a philosophy now. Right, you are going to have to make it so that one yes, you can protect the players, protect the players. But just if you split it in two points each, at least everyone knows where they stand. What we can't have is in four or five weeks' time, JK. We okay. can't have a point where um, oh, they've only played two games, so it's, they're on X number of points. And and this is my issue, right? So they tried to do the bubble, that didn't work. Um. And this is just an observation, I don't know, but if you abide by the protocols, are you at less risk when you're at your home to get COVID? So have the hurricanes management protocols been strong enough when you're trying to play in a competition like this? The the third point that I've got, and I don't know the answer to that, maybe like everyone's getting it, you know what I'm saying? So let's yeah. just say everyone's gonna get it. So what what we're doing is we're just not making decisions. Right? Two, two points you've made. Okay, um, if you pull out because of COVID, you're losing your points, or we're splitting them. Done. Finished. End of story. And then at the end of the season, we go, oh, well, that was another season. The Blues have won, and let's let's take the mickey because they've won a competition that wasn't real because the Highlanders had to pull out. I think you've got to share the points. I think it's, it's too <laughs> tough to discriminate against any one team. You know, there's more than 200,000 cases of, of uh, COVID-19 in the community now. It's not the Hurricanes' fault. It's not Moana Pacifica's fault. It's it's not the Hurricanes women's team's fault, the Alpiki team's fault. You know, no one is at fault for getting Omicron. It's in schools. I mean, it's riddled through Parliament, for Pete's sake, you know. Uh, the Queen got it. Uh, so we just need to accept that it's everywhere. And I think it would be rough, too rough, to take the, all of the points off one team. Uh, I think it's much better just to split the points between the two teams and move on and say that that game's, there's no chance that game will be played elsewhere in the competition. Yeah, I, I just, what I want is a decision, Goldie. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Mark Robinson, make a decision, or whoever's head of comp, make a decision. This is the decision. This whole tournament's going to be riddled with this. So this is the rule. And everyone just gets on with it. Instead of going, it, what do we do now? You know, I'm waiting. I'm doing the Highlanders game, and I'm sort of thinking, wow, is, uh, is that going to be cancelled? Uh, you know, am I going to wake up and do my test tomorrow? I'm going to, you know, there's all this uncertainty in the world. So... Everyone else is making rules. We've just got to make some rules and then get on with it. And also, that would also protect uh, the players and the coaches because if you were to say, well, the Hurricanes are going to lose all of their points, 
that then puts pressure on them to actually field a team and to play the game in a, in a way that might be dangerous. So if you share the points, it, it actually makes it safer in that regard. I think uh, from a you know from a, a pure health and safety perspective. Yeah, I, I, I look at it and, and like you've just said, uh, Jim, you got forty players, you've got twenty management, you know, you, roundabout. So you've got sixty yep. people who are going back to their home environments, right? Who are going into and. In, in, They'll be protecting themselves in the best way they possibly can, but they can't not live their lives. They oh, can't exactly. not spend time with their families, of which Moana right now, I think they're still based down south, right? So, they so they're still. So what they're doing is they've done everything they possibly can. They've gone through uh, a number of players in the team having it, and they've tried to do it. And clearly now they're going to be disadvantages. Maybe it's time for them to come home. Maybe it's Absolutely. time for them to come home. And, they might and, as well. Uh, you know, it's it's everywhere, so they might as well. And, you know, I just think my daughter came home from school the other day and said that in one of her classes that normally has 30 people, there were nine students in that class. So it's in schools, and you, you're just going to get affected from multiple different ways. So trying to live in a bubble in Queenstown is fanciful. Now they might as well come back to Auckland, be with their families, and just, you know, get on with it. See, the, the interesting thing with Super Rugby Alpiki is is for two nights game, there's rolling substitutions. So in terms of someone comes off, they can come back on. And some of that will be around players that have been affected, who have recovered. And this is the, the physiological side of it, right? It is so vastly different for everybody. Our good friend Mills Muliaina is going through it right now. And he admitted on a podcast yesterday, I did talking about the games, the fact that he feels better than the moment he does an element of exercise at home, he then hits a wall. And he said it's not very, very long. Now, the expectation is, and he's, he was in good nick. He's in good health. You know, he'd been on his bike doing what J.K. He's got the lycra on. He's doing his miles, you know, and feeling good. And he would know seven days later that, you know what, could I go out there and compete at an elite level? And so there's there's going to be here, there, there is going to be huge opportunities, right, for other players. But by the same token, to your point, J.K., you can't sit here and live in fear of this thing, but also you have to be practical about when these players get back out on the field. Okay, and just one thing I just want to mention. I think it's amazing that they're doing rolling subs tonight, but only for those that have had COVID. Otherwise, they make a farce of the game and try and win it for the wrong reasons, you know? So those that have had COVID, they should have been identified and they can roll subs off. Otherwise, you know, we're going to get yeah. the, the Richard situations when, when we had, you know, remember when he faked that blood thing in the Northern Hemisphere to try and get... 10 minutes, you know, we just got to be all honest about this. This is a, this is a moment in, in the history of our, of our world. So, but, but we need some direction, Goldie. That's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. That's what I like about what's happening with the women's game tonight. Someone's made a decision. No one's moaning about who's going to win or not. So let's just make the decision so everyone knows where they stand. Right? And then if someone's going to pretend they've got COVID to get half the points, well, they should never be playing rugby in the first place. Go and play something else. There's, there's one big issue here. Does it also affect the Hurricanes for next week? I mean, clearly it will from a playing stock perspective and from a health perspective, but will will they even be able to field a team next week? Because, of, well, it goes to seven days isolation on Friday night, but at the moment they've got to do 10 days isolation. And as we've been discussing, you have to load the player back in uh, when, when, they're, when they're ready to run again. You talked about, you talked about it with Mills, uh, Goldie, and... and you know, you, you've both coached at that level. You can't just bring a guy straight back and throw them back into the into the furnace. I mean, the only one that could really do that was Armour Core. Um, you've got to load these guys back up again. 
Oh, I just think it's, it's, you're it's, already it's, testing your squad. They, they had that guy Raymond uh, Tupu Tupu who played hooker, yeah. came on a hooker for the Hurricanes, who was their fifth choice hooker. He was in Palmerston North the morning of the game and got a phone call to say, "Can you throw your boots in the back of the car, son, and drive down to West Bank or Sky Stadium? Drive down to Sky Stadium." But I think that's what Tony Brown's talking about. He's talking yeah. about the fact there's going to be more of this. Is the fact that okay, you're trying to manage it as best you can. You keep yourself a group of players available, but all of a sudden. The amount of time you're spending together, the amount of the way that you train. But to your point, JK, I think because of that uncertainty, teams will be loath to pull. You know, going well, okay, um, yes, it, it means we're only going to get two points. All right, we're getting our two points. We'll take our two points in this game. That is the reality we're dealing with. In the end, that's mm. going to be the best way, and in, in my view, to protect the players. But this is that leadership you're talking about continually, JK. And I, I you know, like there's a number of parts of the game that you have to deal with, you're always about the fans, right? And I'm 100% about the fans because that, to me, is what the future of Super Rugby is about. We stirred up a bit of a hornet's nest on the on the last weekend, right, where we started talking about the role that Australian rugby has in Super Rugby. And this is an interesting thing. I don't, you know, we're not necessarily being critical of, of their abilities. It's the fact that their depth and what we want out of this competition. Is, isn't this pure and simply a game about... What is it the, the the fans need to see? If it is clear, okay, that the, the, there is two points to these sides. What is going to happen when a, when teams get affected by COVID? What is the future of this competition? Because what we see, we continually talk about it, JK. Isn't there a massive opportunity for Super Rugby going forward if they can get this right? Given we've already seen the impact of our two new teams, you know, albeit on a small sample size, you know, we we stirred it up. We stirred it up across the Tasman. At the elite level, the one thing that you need to do is you need to understand if your player base can compete at that level. Right? So the trouble that we have at the moment, and this is something that New Zealand will have to look at if we carry on down this let's kill our pathway to super rugby path. Right? So the pathway to super rugby in Australia is what? Elite schools, play clubs. Right in a small amount of schools, then clubs, right? Their pathway does not produce enough elite players for the franchises. So the trouble is you start getting players that are not of the level, no one's fault, right? And so then you start spreading your talent thin. The guys that are playing subconsciously don't have someone on the bench that's good enough to come on and replace them. You get guys that are playing at a, at a, at a longer age. Then the fans don't start turning up then you can't afford to keep the players and the players go overseas. It's just this, for me, it's just this spiral um, that what we got away from, and I keep saying this, but, but they think this this horse is bolted. We got away from tribalism and traditionalism. You know, the Battle of the Bridge, Auckland versus North, Har- North Harbour, you put that on, it'd be like State of Origin, right? What the Rugby League did not get rid of in Australia was tribalism and tradition. They added new new franchises as they went along, but they're in areas like they've just added one in the Sunshine Coast, right? Um, so, but they have the talent to do that. So, what happens is the fans start turning off, and then you start in, look, look at the NRL pre-season. The, the crowds are full. You watch Super Rugby, and there's two people having a hot dog. You know, like it's about pathways and it's about fans. And kids do not go and watch losers, and I mean that in every respect of the word. I mean teams that are losing. Right? They don't, they don't mind the LA Lakers 
my, 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 like in my house, the LA Lakers are on, boys. Right now, they know that the LA Lakers are not having a great season, but their season is full of what you'll know this, Goldie. How many games where you'll win? Right, so, so they're used to winning and losing, and they start talking about you know how they're playing. You know, I watched um, NRL three hundred and sixty last night. I think I sent you guys a note. You know, they were yeah. talking about. Um, players' contracts, what they're getting, when when it's you know we don't know any of that stuff. It's like we're, we're it's like we're it's like we're living in this 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 world as fans and and supporters of the game. We don't know anything. Like they, there's Mate, no transparency at all. The Hurricanes wouldn't even Hurricanes wouldn't even tell us for the breakdown uh, last Sunday how many players were out with COVID. I didn't ask for names. I just asked for a number, and they wouldn't tell me that. So you talk about player contracts. I mean, you know, you're singing from a song sheet that as a Geno, I've wanted to, 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 to have the orchestra playing for a very long time. If you look overseas, JK, in just about every international sport, there's huge drama around contracts and signings and transfers and all of that sort of stuff. And it just keeps feeding into what is the sport and the interest around the sport. But in New Zealand, we have this crazy... We have, we have coaches... And CEOs say, I'll only talk about a player who's contracted to the whatever organisation he works for. Rather than saying, honestly, mate, I'd love to sign sign Bowden Barrett, and we're going to give it a decent nudge. I mean, he's one of the greatest players the game's had in the last 10 years. Why not be open and honest about the fact that you want to sign him? But instead, you get this ridiculous situation where you say, I'm only going to talk about players who are contracted to. Because we're not fan-centric. So the trouble is... Fans about, want to know where the players are moving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the, because we're not fan-centric. We've done two things. Tribalism and tristanism. Like, if Queensland was playing New South Wales, they would fill the stadium. Rugby. Right? The state of origin. Think about that as a as a year thing that we all everyone looks forward to. So that, that's, our, that's our major issue. For me, my major issue is we are just not fan-orientated. So if you put the fans back round the table for decision-making then you'll start making different decisions, right? The fans are voting with their feet. When the when the Melbourne Rebels are, this is no disrespect, I'm sure all the players are working hard, and I've been in a losing franchise, I know what it's like, you know, how many people will turn up to watch the Rebels play next time, right? So we, we need to put the fans around the decision-making table again. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, there's a number of talking points. We're not an interesting sport. Yeah, yeah, and, and for example, JK, and you talk about it, and particularly, and it's massive in American sport because sports betting in America is huge, right? So the injury report is vital for the sport itself, for the fans who are going, you know what, I need to know, because quite often the odds you'll get on a Wednesday or a Tuesday are significantly different you get at the end of the week. So when players are injured and ruled out, how much information that is being shared, like you're talking about, Jim, JK, uh, how many, when it comes down to players playing minutes, you know, how much are they going to play? You start going, well, hold on, that, that, that affects whether or not I'm going to have an investment in this game and go, you know what, it influences the fan. The other side of it to me is that at some point you have to, you have to ask the question, and, you know, we talk about the loss of South Africa in Super Rugby. Well, South Africa's lost all of its players globally, right? The numbers that can't, who don't play in South Africa, pure and simply because of the strength of the RAND, um, for what they can get overseas, they have no base. They'd still be physical and tough, and I've watched some of their Cuddy Cup, but it's still not anywhere near the level that would compete at Super Rugby. 
that there's no point going down that path because those players aren't going to go back there. But I look at this, this JK, this is not a development competition, Super Rugby, right? This is because this is this is what NPC now, Bunnings is a development competition, right? That's what just, it is. I just stop you there, Goldie, before you go yeah, on. Of course. Because for me, there's a, a, a mixing of the arguments. So what you just said is, is something that I think we are not good enough to think differently about, right? So why, why are we still competing with the Northern Hemisphere financially for our players? What I've always said, we need to think differently. This is what I keep saying about, you know, about Rob Nickel and, and some of the powers to be on the player side. Why aren't we investing in, 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 in other things to keep our players here? Right? And I think it's the same with South Africa. If you don't, if you don't keep your players, so if the Northern Hemisphere is offering them um, X amount, surely you can offer them, uh, you know, in a property fund. Or I'm just making stuff up here, but other ways to keep our players. You know, I'm, I'm sick of like rugby players have never never seen an opposition and got scared. So why are we? Like, this is this is a problem where you go, hang on a minute. How do we look at this differently? How do we actually retain Bowden Barrett? Now, if they want to go away and have an OE, that's a different story. But if we have to do all this stuff to keep them out of the game, you know, I would love, I would love to see you know Damien McKenzie playing for the Chiefs this year. I do not want him on an O. I don't want him on a financial sabbatical. Well, he's not. He's not. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. So, I know what you're saying. But, so but what, to my point, different ways we can retain our players so that at the end of the game they're financially secure. Oh, no, that's just... Yeah. Well, Jim, yeah, I mean, the thing for me is that around this discussion, and this is where I get frustrated for what's happening across the Tasman, like, I can I can some ways live with the odd All Black heading offshore, right? The odd one. The fact that, you mm. know, and, and, and we... And, and it could be experience-based. It could be pure and simply the numbers just don't stack up here. For Nani Lamapi, that was the challenge. I'm not sure 100% that we we probably did enough or have got the scope, the franchises have got enough scope to keep someone like Nani Lamapi because he was desperately valuable to the Hurricanes. But I look at this and my concern across the Tasman, and it's a genuine concern because, to your point, JK, I want Australia to be competitive. I want those franchises to be competitive. I want them to be better. It's when I see young players leaving and heading offshore that are 21, 22, 23, that's, that, that, that to me is the clear sign that they're in real trouble when players are choosing to go and head offshore because the, the law of the Australian jersey um, and the money that they're being offered can't compete. Even at that level, then how in the world do they expect to compete at Super Rugby level? Now, if they're not dedicated to competing at Super Rugby level, we've got an issue. If they're not dedicated to being a contender on every single year or relying on one team to go, this year it's our Reds team. It's the Reds this year. They're the team. Or it's the Brumbies. Okay. But if they're not relying, if they're only relying on one side, to me it's just, it's not going to be a, a situation like you say where if they're voting with their feet. The fans will just say, you know what? Who are these guys that are just showing up to play? I'm like, so, what are so, This is a question so, for both of you, right? This is a question for you both. And... I believe this to be true. The problem is with rugby, we are the only sport in the world that is national team centric. So has super rugby become irrelevant? Because if the Australians produce two, three new young guys this year across the franchises, then they're happy because it's better for their national side. But we haven't been, we've been taking our rugby players out of super rugby for 10 years. So is it because rugby is 
two national team centric and we're too national team centric because the other competitions aren't creating enough revenue because we've forgotten the fans. But that would be the case here, but perhaps not in, in Britain, or certainly not in France. I can remember the 2007 World Cup writing a story about how the top 14 in France had one French-eligible tight head prop. Uh, Toulon once fielded 15 international players, none of whom were available for France. I've changed so, it. Eh? I've changed that. But so that so my point still is though, yes, I think you're 100 percent correct here in New Zealand, and that's worked for a very long time. But just because it worked for a very long time doesn't mean it's still working. And if you look at the competition from a from a fan perspective, and you open the doors to uh, having transfers within Super Rugby, so you could have Adi Savia playing for the Waratahs or for whoever, if he wanted to go live on the Gold Coast, he might be playing for, for Queensland. What would that do to the competition? I remember writing about this and, and making the point that how good would it be to have Skulk Berger and Jerry Collins in the same Hurricanes team together? You know, how good would it have been if Victor Matfield had come here? We've got Pablo Montero who's come to New Zealand because he wants to have that experience and he's playing really well. Uh, you, you know, we, we have been a fortress of keeping players only in New Zealand and only picking from players in New Zealand, and it's worked really, really well. And I'm a, I'm a hypocrite here because I'm a staunch defender of that. But equally, I wonder at Super Rugby whether we shouldn't be changing that and opening the doors for transfers or to pick the All Blacks from anywhere within Super Rugby. Why do we always think, why do we always think decisions are for life? We're yeah, doing, <laughs> yeah. We're doing that with the rules. Like we, we, we put a rule in and it doesn't work. And oh no, we won't. We won't. Uh, we won't change it. We'll just add an A, B, and C. So soccer has eighteen rules. Right? Rugby has one hundred and fifteen, but every rule has a a one, two, and three under it as an interpretation. Like you go, are we kidding ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'll tell you one thing that has to that has to stop. Just answer your question, mate. Sorry, just to answer. Yeah. I agree, but we've got to add China, and we've got to add um, we've got to add Japan into that into that group. Where if Adi Savia, like if Damien McKenzie wants to go and play for two years for Suntory, and he is playing the Crusaders, and he comes down against the Crusaders, and he's still player of the day, we pick him for the All Blacks. Okay, like, we've got to do two years. We've got to do nothing to this competition for a long period of time. You talk all the time about tribalism and traditionalism. This competition changes more times than a, than a bloke with diarrhea changes his undies. Honestly, it's a disgrace. I had a chat to Chris Boyd the other day for the magazine that I edit, New Zealand Rugby World. He said, he said, I can tell you what the premiership will look like in five years and 10 years and 15 years' time. And he said, I can't tell you what Super Rugby is going to look like in two years' time. We've chopped and changed. We've had Super 12, Super 14, 15, 18, back to whatever. Stop bringing in teams. Let's bed down the teams that we've got. Let's get them going well, and let's get the fans back so that people actually care. Not working, Jim. The reason, that, the reason that they keep changing is not working. They don't change the premiership because the crowds are full. The, the, the television revenue is going up, right? They don't change it because it's, we still haven't found the right one. So I tell you what we do. We get rid of Super Rugby and we play a club. Or get back to Auckland, get back to the Canterbury, get back to North Harbour and the top 10 sides play, the, play, play right across Aussie and Japan. That's what we need to do. Then people go, oh, I get that. Yeah, well, I think... You know what? Really- the, the, 
There's a theme song for this competition, mate. You two wrote it, Bono sings it, and it's called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It's oh, yeah. absolutely ridiculous what goes on in this competition. They That's chop and change. It's just crazy, mate. Crazy. That's good from you, Jim. That is really good from you to bring you two and a song into that. I mean, you have you had that loaded up, ready to go, going, I'll be looking for that. This is the opportunity for me to roll that in. I just love you too, you know? <laughs> that was a piece of gold. An absolute piece of gold. Um, so, so with that in mind, and you talk about it, so everyone's meeting up in the Northern Hemisphere. Mark Robinson's there. Hamish McKinnon's there, I right hear. Um, Annie Marinos is probably there as well. I'm not sure. Or is it, or is it, is it the, the chairman of the board who's going? I'm not sure for Australian rugby, but they're all there. They're up talking about uh, this Nations Cup. I know Sanzara meeting as well. Um, uh, someone, I think, Rassi Erasmus has come out and talked, I think, about uh, South Africa really does really want to go up to, to be part of the Six Nations. and So they're continuing to throw that, throw that um, out there. Um, but to your point, JK, I'm sure on the agenda... All of a sudden, this world club competition will be mentioned about can we find a window to have the playoffs between the different areas? So, I mean, if you started to say, to Jim's point, we keep this Super 12 we've got going now, we find a way to maybe, maybe help in Australia. They find a way to get a little bit stronger. Does a world club playoff, if that's, is that a solution for you? Is there a window? If they find four weeks to go, you know what? This is how we include Japan. This is how we bring the north to the south, the south to the north. Does that is there an appetite for you there, or do you think it needs to be a, a complete reset, like you just mentioned just before, in terms of you know a ten team comp or, or this playoff? Is the playoff the future? Look, I start from a revenue based goal. So I've just finished watching uh, the UEFA Cup, PSG versus Real. It was an amazing game of football. It was full. It was they had all the superstars out there. You should have watched it. Unbelievable. Right? So clubs create revenue. The super rugby at the moment is a failed business model and it just drains the coffers. Right? So we I'm interested if we're creating a competition that's separate from our current competition that is creating revenue. Why is France so strong? Because their competition continues to attract more television rights, more crowds, more people. So my problem, my problem is anything that we create needs to be not to supply better players to their national side so someone can win the World Cup. It's actually to create standalone businesses. Now, my problem with Super Rugby at the moment is the Blues is worth 25 cents because they don't get any television rights. They don't get the right to, to retain and, and add sponsors, or they might be able to add sponsors just in the last two years, you know. All our jerseys look the same, you know. We are this we are this servant to the to the national game. Now, don't get me wrong, we've got to find the balance where the All Blacks continue to, to win and be dominant. I get that. But we've got to create different commercial models that work, okay? So right now, Super Rugby doesn't work. How do we make it a commercial model where the Auckland Blues actually are worth selling because that 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 TV rights earns them $10 million a year. And with that money, they've attracted a new owner, like all sorts of different... I'm only using the Blues because it, it, it goes for everyone, right? So unless you... What are they creating this World Club competition for? What is their strategic goal? Well, I mean, like you say, when you start talking about um, 
the UEFA Cup, the Champions League, all those sort of competitions, like you're saying, you're, you're, you're anticipating the best of the best, right? To the best of one country against the best of another. And it's almost supremacy. And I agree with you the fact that what happens in terms of, a, say, a, any super rugby franchise, whether it be Australian, New Zealand, or wherever it's based, the fact the financial model needs to be that, one, it's profitable and worthwhile investing into, right? So coming in and going, because that's when I think you'll re- re-engage with the fans, the fact that if you've got an ownership group who are going, we're not trying to just make ends meet, we're actually trying to create the... I mean, you, like you, you just mentioned you two, right? What do you two do? Like, they work out, how do I entertain the fans? How do I create the greatest stage show that I possibly can and create a premium product? The premium it's, product it's, is the fact I, that you'll pay whatever. You'll pay whatever to go, Jim. You absolutely. And, and, and when I go, I know several things. I know that all four of them will be there. Bono, Edge, Larry, um, uh, Adam, they're all going to be there. I know they're going to play for two and a half hours. I know it's going to be high quality. I know the music's going to be high quality. What do we get with sport? We get teams running out where players are deliberately not there. Uh, we get, as JK goes on about all the time, too much interference from the referee. We get inferior products and mixed products. Now, I know sport's always going to be variable, and that's one of the great things about it. But we need, we just need to move our game from the sports basket to the entertainment basket put the fans at the middle of it, and away we go. All of a sudden, life's very, very different. It's about the fan that pays. Goes to Auckland to watch, goes to Eden Park to watch, goes to the Blues games to watch, buys the Sky subscription, buys my magazine, buy my magazine. Uh, (laughs) It's all about the fan. But listen, I want to get back to the business model because I think that's important. So I've got a question for you before you do that. How many franchises, sports franchises internationally, internationally make money? Irrelevant. Why? You're just talking about a business model. It's irrelevant to this discussion because what a lot of the multi-multi-millionaire business people that own football teams, they have enough income to run it at a loss. So, like, and a lot of them, a lot of them are happy with that. But there are teams that still run at a profit. For example, getting back to that discussion, why do you think the Heineken Cup is so damn important for the premiership teams? You tell us. They get a million dollars each if they make it. If you don't make the top four in in Italian Serie A, you don't make their UEFA Cup, and that costs your club $8 million in television rights. People get the sack. Right? You tell me one competition that the Blues can go into with a million dollar prize at the end. Yeah, and, and that the intensity would be different. Do you think do you think Foden would be unavailable then? And to, yeah, to your point. That's right. To your, no. to your point. To your to your point. If if at the moment the only reward is getting the home game in the final and hoping that thirty five to forty thousand people turn up so you can get your cut of the revenue in terms of the gate. And and, and I, I see I agree with that entirely. If you said all of a sudden the pot of gold for a world club competition is is there. The pot of gold and the thing, you know what, if I win this and then I go on to win that or you automatically qualify. I mean, you talk about entertainment. I mean, there are, the NFL, the Super Bowl is watched by, you know, millions and millions around the world. And usually it's for the halftime show. 
Yeah. You know, like it's, it's what happens in the 35 minutes in the middle. Who's going to be in the middle? And in America, the biggest news is which which companies decided they were going to do the ads, you know? So, so, so if, if you go to Eden Park in a Blues game, you pay overpriced money for, for undervalued food. Uh, you might get a band tucked in the corner of Eden Park playing to that corner of Eden Park. You've got a referee who makes decisions that no one who has paid to go to the game understands because those decisions are not relayed via the, the loudspeaker system within the ground. So you've got however many thousand, 10, 15, 20, 50,000 go to a game, they've got no idea what's going on. And part of part of all of this problem too is, is the Players Association. We have a situation in New Zealand rugby where no one player can be seen to be bigger or better than the others when it comes to these sorts of things. Now, I've got two examples for you. When JK signed Benji Marshall, Grant McKenzie, who was the marketing manager at the Blues, said, if we get 5,000 extra seats, extra bums on seats because of Benji Marshall, we will pay his salary just in those ticket sales alone. I was talking to Don Tricker a couple of years ago when the pandemic hit about how they were coping at the Padres because he's the, the boss at the Padres. That signed a guy, I can't remember who it was, but he was the, 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 the biggest signing that they'd ever had at the club. And he said to me, and again, the numbers are not really relevant, but basically within two or three days of that guy's shirt selling, they will have paid his contract. So we need to embrace the fact that some of our guys are superstars. The Blues should be able to go out, sell a Bowdoin Barrett t-shirt that all the kids are going to wear when they go down to shoot hoops, and they make money from it. But they can't. So what's the point? What's the added value of signing Bowdoin Barrett? Yeah, you get something on the field, but there's no commercial value to signing Bowdoin Barrett. And, and that's where the game falls over commercially, JK. That's where, and you've talked about this, that's where the Blues should be able to exploit the, the value of the players that they have, and we can't do that. So this is what I'm talking about at the moment. Because I think, look, our game... And I don't want to. I don't want to be negative because I love the game. And when the games played well, like the the Blues Hurricanes was a great game of rugby. You know, there's been some great, our 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 game France All Blacks last year. Great game of rugby. You know, when we play our game well, it's a great game. But the trouble is, what? So I think there's three things we need to address. One is the business models of our games because I think we still think amateur. The second the second part is our rules, right? What are we doing about our rules to make this game constantly as good as it can be? Because I remember Bill Beaumont coming out last year after there was a good game of rugby, and I think he'd been hearing from the Southern Hemisphere from us saying we need to make our game right. And there was a great game of rugby, and he said, when it's played well. But we're not putting our referees and our players into a situation where they can continually play it at that level because you can break the rules. And then the last one in the Southern Hemisphere, because I think the Northern Hemisphere have got it right. But why won't we try and learn off them? Why don't we just say, they've got it right, good on you. What are we scared of? Right? And that is this, the, the competition, Jim, like you said before. The competitions are being mucked with all the time. When I, when I first went to Italy, you would be able to see an Auckland jersey bought by a rugby person in Italy. Now everyone buys an All Black jersey, which is great for the All Blacks, but... There's no, you know, you walk around Europe, you'll see Real Madrid, you'll see PSG because Neymar signed, you know. So three things. We need to look at the business model. We need to look at the rules so it can be more consistently played at a great level. 
And then we need, in the southern hemisphere, to short our structure out. That helps Australia, not hinders them. You know, they want five franchises because it's probably about revenue and trying to get enough players playing. So how do we help them with a competition that's going to work? How do we help this problem that we have with our players leaving? So And, and embrace superstars. We need to embrace our superstars and not be shy of that. You, you, you made a comment that uh, no one watches losers. Well, there was an exception to that. In the early 2000s, when the Hurricanes went from Athletic Park to the stadium, they were averaging 27,500 people to a game. They had 15,000 season ticket holders. They had that because their stadium experience was exceptional, but they also had it because they had a bloke called Lomu, another bloke called Cullen, Umanga, uh, these sorts of guys in their team, and they shamelessly marketed them as superstars of the game. And people went to go and, and, and watch them play, and... You know, I've pissed in your pocket enough, JK, that we used to go and watch you guys play because there was you and Zinni and other people like that, and we went to watch the superstars of the game. We need to be open about the fact that people go to watch superstars. Why do you go watch Mission Impossible? Because you know Tom Cruise is in it, it's going to be a good movie. You know? You go and watch, but you, you know my point. You go and you follow the... You, but I'm not going there. <laughs> you follow the the actors that you like, you know. The you'd you'd be more Dame Judith Dench, I know. So you go watch a Dame Dame let me, Judith let me Dench. Clarify losers. Just let me clarify losers, guys, because I don't mean losers in the sense of I'm talking about teams that lose when you are on a, in a franchise because franchising, right? Tribalism, traditionalism, you never give up your team. Franchises where you don't have any connection to them, you only follow winners. Right? There's a difference. Yeah. Right? LA Lakers fans follow LA Lakers and they'll chant to get rid of the coach, they'll they'll criticize LeBron, but they'll never leave because they are Lakers people. Right? No, I'm not talking about losers in the sense that the players aren't good enough. I'm talking about nothing to, to grab hold of. And then your franchises lose and so you go, Well, I've got a choice. I'm gonna go and watch um Mission Impossible because who's in it? Brad Pitt. So I'm gonna <laughs> go Anyway, I'm more a Jason Bourne man, actually. I think J.K. follows chefs. I think that's what J.K. does. He follows the chefs around Auckland is where he goes. Where's he gone to? Where's he gone to? That's what J.K. does. Yeah. I think think what we see, and this is what I see, and I agree with you both on on so many different levels here, is the fact that I just see great and huge opportunity for this game. But it's it's not happening right now, right? And And... And I don't, I, and I don't think we can underestimate too the fact that the challenge for us over the next two years will be getting people to go back to the stadium because they're in the habit of not going now because of COVID nineteen. That's what's mm. caused it. We're mm. we're all living a little bit of fear right now, you know, of the fact that we are trying to obviously avoid going to the big, the the big. We're not allowed to, um, but the fact that when we come out of this, which we are going to come out of at some point is we need to bring people back to the stadium. This is where I see the opportunity. This competition, to your point, I think it's got the right number of teams. It's got that. What we mm. need to do is, and, and we're going to go through another season with what the Hurricanes have just experienced, what Moana experienced the first couple of weeks, where it's, once again, not, not necessarily going to be close and tight. What it's going to be is, in all realities, it's going to be maybe a little bit unorthodox given what we're dealing with. There'll be shared points. But I think for me, there's, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm more optimistic, but what you have to do is you have to accept the issues, right? We have to accept it. We've got to move. We've got to go. i tell you what, though, JK, you, you, your last point? Yeah, no, I just want to, 
maybe for the next podcast. So should we start investigating our leaders on whether they're addressing business, rules, and competition? So they're going up north. Are they discussing those three things? Well, we're going to ask Robbo on Sunday. Yeah, we've got, we've got uh, Mark Robertson, the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, on the breakdown uh, Sunday, 7.30 p.m. Be able to ask him then. Yeah, How I'm, fan-centric I'm are they? Yeah, well, and just where do they see the game? Because all of these competitions and conversations, the Nations Cup as well, that the one they're considering an international level, how the flow-on effect of that, um, and, and how far are they down with those conversations? And of course, Sanzar, you know, what's the future uh, future for them? But these are all valid, valid conversations we can have with Mark Robinson. It's great. Uh, he's he's going to give us the time. Uh, gentlemen, um, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night, JK. I think my team is ready. You be ready. Joey Wheeler's coming to town, so we'll be on the on the build up show for the for uh, QBE Stadium, the Blues and the Highlanders. You you've got Bryce team at second five. I have a twelve year old bottle of Amaroni. <laughs> I am prepared to put on the game. Why couldn't you buy a new one? Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how confident you are. I mean, I know you, you got what you, you you I mean you got you're lucky you were very fortunate you got I think you've won one from Marcus Kennedy um our, our, our bosses at Sky yeah from the, but he's not so good at the TAB he keeps sharing oh. his TAB betting slips and uh, oh. they haven't gone so well they excuse smashed me. it last weekend excuse me Hoskins to two two to score and the Blues to win was paying six dollars Jim but didn't you waste a bit of money didn't you have uh, the wrong score for Moana versus the Crusaders. Yeah, but that was an investment. And, yeah, and people only talk about the ones they win, eh? Gamblers only talk about their wins. No, I'll tell you what, uh, Goldie, I reckon in the previous 40-odd minutes, JK's actually agreed with me quite a bit. He just hasn't admitted it. We could, well, we, I reckon we could cut those all together and we could do a podcast on that. The only thing <laughs> I agree with you, Jim, is I thought you were talking about yourself when you talk about that guy sawling his underpants. <laughs> Gentlemen, I can't wait to see uh, Friday night. We'll see you Sunday, JK, uh, uh, Friday as well, and we'll be back in seven days' time to see what else we can fix them. Have you accepted the bet or not? What's that? Have you accepted the bet? What am I up for? Well, you just bring your best bottle of wine. Mine's a 12 year old bottle of Amarone. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, I'll fix the cellar. I'm not sure there's much there. I don't know how happy you'll be about that, but I won't his, need it. His anyway. best bottle was, was twelve ninety nine at Packet Safe, so he, he might be on a winner here. No, it's, it'll just be another. It'll be one of your own, it's one of your own wines, though, JK. <laughs> <laughs> right, lads. Talk soon. See you. Thanks, guys.